Hello, and welcome to Ropes and Gray's Virtual Trip Around the World podcast. I'm Allison Fesky, a counsel in the healthcare group in our Chicago office. And together with my colleagues across the globe, I'm so excited to share with you the launch of our new local law comparison guide. This is developed as part of the firm's Global Healthcare Compliance Initiative and is based on our cross-practice group collaboration, both at Ropes and Gray, and very importantly, our strong relationships with local counsel. This new local law comparison guide summarizes requirements and standards for typical activities conducted by healthcare and life sciences companies across 19 key international jurisdictions. And we partnered with trusted law firms on six continents to develop this guide. I am so excited to have with me here today from the law firm of Von Vobiser, Lourdes Salazar, who is going to talk with us about compliance and regulatory considerations when operating in Mexico. Lourdes, I'm delighted to have you join me. Thanks for coming. Thank you for the invitation. I'm delighted for being here. Lourdes, could you just start by giving us a brief overview of you and your practice at Von Vobiser, and, and then we're going to dive into some of the key considerations um, and trends happening in Mexico. Yes, of course. I mean, we are a firm that has over 30 years uh, of experience here in Mexico since our foundation, and we have plenty of experience regarding compliance, antitrust, and of course, the healthcare and life science industry here in Mexico. We have, uh, I mean, several of our clients are working in, in this group. And are you resident in, in Mexico City, Lourdes? Yes, I'm resident in Mexico City. All my life I live here. Terrific. So as we get started, could you start by just describing for us the regulatory framework in Mexico? And, and by that, I mean, if you're a life sciences or a healthcare company, what are the laws or the industry trade group um, guidelines that, that a company would really need to be aware of and that would be at the top of their list in terms of things to think about? Yes, the, the thing here is that the, all the regulatory matters are spread in different provisions. And actually, uh, regarding the compliance, it's a relatively recent topic here in Mexico. Before 2015, compliance played more like a commercial and a business role more than an effective obligation of the companies. In, the, in that year, Mexico introduced at a constitutional level the creation of the National Anti-Corruption System, who act as a coordinating agency among authorities of all levels of government responsible for preventing the tackling and publishment of corruption. What I mean is that before that, all the, of the rulings and guidelines were more focused in industry groups than actually reading in a in a specific provision so that's what we have here and everything is spread so we recommend our our clients to be in one of these uh, chambers where all the other companies are because i think that they have some of the, the most important things or topics regarding the compliance and all the regulatory matters so starting in 2015 with your national anti-corruption law um, you know, it sounds like the landscape changed for all companies in Mexico. For those, you know, in the healthcare and life sciences space, is there anything, you know, specifically or greater risks or concerns they should be aware of? Yes, I mean, we have in here three different three different things. On all these provisions, we have the criminal, administrative, and civil liability corporations. We have now the Whistleblower Protection Program. And we have the general law on corporate liability and due diligence, which was presented to Congress in September of, of last year, but has not published. 
regarding the criminal, administrative, and civil liability of corporations, uh, many corporates might be subject to fines, the temporary or definitive disqualification from participating in governmental bids, and even the dissolution of the company. In all cases, the risk is that the companies will be subject to sanctions regardless of whether or not the company had a direct intention to participate in an act of bribery and as a consequence will be sanctioned for not having the proper controls or guidelines related to activities of officials, employees, managers of others. And now, of course, with the White Flower Protection Program, which was uh, established in October of last year, the Ministry of Public Function provides the guidelines for granting, implementing, and following up on measures and to protect whistleblowers. These whistleblowers have become highly relevant in the fight against corruption. Their complaints filed should be followed by the Mexican authorities uh, in in order to to be aware of potential acts of of corruption. So in in Mexico, are are healthcare professionals or healthcare providers, are they typically also considered to be government officials? Healthcare providers that we have Yes, they can be considered as part of the of the government, as long as they work in an institution of the of the of the government, either that they are actually healthcare providers or they have just desk jobs and and, and they are filing or reading or executing things. And there are there are several differences in the approach that the industry can have with healthcare providers from the private industry and the healthcare providers that act also as a government official. I see. So something maybe for um, healthcare and life sciences companies to think about very specifically. They may not always think about the connection between the healthcare providers and and their role as a government official. Yes, of course. It's actually, it's not quite written, but it's prohibited to, 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 to have interactions like marketing, advertising, or hiring for for private purpose, a, a, a healthcare provider that is also a, a government official. Since it's quite ambiguous, which is the role in which they can participate, the retribution that they might have, even speaking about gifts, meals, or 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 anything, it's not quite clear. And this kind of act, the provisions are very are very broad and open. All these kind of things can be consider as a as a as a serious uh, uh, act of of corruption so it's not it's not quite open to have this kind of engagement or or or, or anything with with government officials from uh, that also are healthcare providers i see and if if it's a healthcare provider that is not a government official where would a company look for guidance on appropriate activities like meals or training programs or you know a sponsorship for example yes i mean the first thing that they have to 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 see is the general law of administrative responsibilities and the federal and local criminal codes in order to verify that any kind of these activities or or or, or sponsor activities or or events can be uh, considered as an act of, of corruption but for more specific guidelines the companies can go in the ethic codes in the mexican healthcare industry and we have like three very important which is 
the Ethic and Transparency Code issued in 2013 by the Mexican Chambers of the Pharmaceutical Industry, the Good Promotional Practice Code that was also issued by the same uh, chamber, and the Code of Interaction with Healthcare Professions issued by the, by the Mexican Association of Innovate Industry of Medical Devices. I so, see. Yes, so here we have like more uh, detailed uh, guidelines uh, that the same industry has applied to itself in order to uh, avoid any kind of, of breach uh, uh, with, with the law. So there are more clear rulings and things. Got it. We also have a similar framework in the U.S. with the Avamed and Pharmacodes. It sounds like it is somewhat similar in Mexico in, in terms of industry self-regulation. Yes, yes. It's more like a self-industry regulation. That's something that is treating by the, by the law. So, Lourdes, in terms of the, the key risks that you are seeing as you work and counsel your life sciences and healthcare clients, you know, what, what are you seeing as the biggest risk right now, either currently or on the horizon in the near term? The, the biggest risk that we see is actually that kind of interaction. I mean, that the companies should be really careful when they are sponsoring events, when they are having uh, meetings with uh, the healthcare providers, the kind of educational grants that they are providing to, to them, the samples. So they have to be very careful when they are doing these things. Any kind of payment, retribution, gift, meals, wherever, should be set according to fair market prices, the time spent, the final results, and the responsibility that are taking both parts in the engagement that they are having. And of course, this compensation must not be related to companies' past, present, or future business relationship with these healthcare providers. So that's the thing that they have to take very carefully. And has there been enforcement um, e either among uh, the companies uh, is there the, in the self-regulatory framework or by the government with respect to those kinds of activities? Yes, I mean, there, there is some kind of enforcement, of course. I mean, companies' rights might be subject to, to fines, even from fines and started to the disability for they to appear in public meetings and, of course, with the final, uh, the most terrible one, like the, having the dissolution of, of the company. And regarding the, 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 the specifics in the industry groups, I mean, the sanctions are not uh, quite open to the general public and what we have seen is that the industry itself is quite conscious of the things that they can and they can do and they even in sometimes to the broad open things in the legal provisions they take their own precautions and they prefer to to not be put it in in that level of risk i see so it sounds like there is some self-regulation among companies to some degree Correct. Are there other key risks that you see, perhaps any that have been um, caused or changed related to the COVID-19 pandemic? Regarding the COVID, I mean, we were expecting several uh, modifications, like more, things more open and, 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 and things like that. And, and regarding uh, compliance, we don't see any, any relevant modification. What we have seen is a new provision that caused quite a lot of confusion uh, within the within the industry in which the Mexican government authorized itself 
testing at quarantine medicines and vaccinate uh, that was not evidencing compliance in Mexico, meaning that it's not compelled to obtain a, a health or sanitary registry. And this situation caused a lot of confusion within the industry because the authority did not put the guidelines in which this kind of authorization that it granted itself will take place. They, it, it, it seems to be more open that not just for acting in front of the COVID. We have not heard that the authorities have been uh, importing and using medicines and vaccines different from the COVID issue, and we expect that they do not do that. I see. Have there been um, major changes in business practice caused by COVID that, that have required you know, modifications in compliance guidelines such as virtual programs or virtual conferences or scientific meetings? No, no. I mean, the, the provisions are really late, are, are, are not using on time for a, for a response. So we don't have any kind of modification. Everything has been the same. And again, since this industry is more like it's self-regulated, I think that, the, that they are taking a control and, and focusing, even that they are having a virtual conference and attending meetings and, and providing guidance, of course, to, to the healthcare providers, they are still taking a lot of care, care on the things that they can do and they cannot, and they are just using the, 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 the telemedia as part of an additional tool, and, 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 and that's all. Got it. Okay. So, Lourdes, when you think about um, working with, a, a, for example, a life sciences, perhaps a pharmaceutical company, um, navigating this framework with respect to their compliance program, you know, what, what would you consider to be sort of the, the key pieces um, to put together in terms of a compliance program? I know you mentioned how important it is to have structure around your compensation arrangements with HCPs. Do you have any suggestions on best practices for that? I think the most important thing is just not saying that the company have the guidelines and they have the structure, but that they have programs in which they train their employees, their management, and all the people that will be involving in actually having these activities for they to know what they can do. Because some of the times, like the worst thing that happened is because someone was not aware of the things that they, that it was not able to do, even that it was doing it in good faith. So right. I think that, that that's the more important, to inform your own people of what they can do. Right, making sure that you just don't have things on paper, that people actually understand and, and are trained. Exactly. Trained. We, we should be training the people all, all the time. I don't know if once a year, if twice a year. I mean, you, the company will notice that once they they have the, this approach with, with, with their own and, and they can develop this kind of programs as something permanent, not assuming that the people knows what they can and cannot do. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's good advice for a compliance program everywhere in the world. Yes. So, so Lourdes, as we look forward in the next you know, year, um, what are the risks that you see on the horizon for your life sciences and healthcare clients? What's on your radar to think about? Uh, I think that I mean we don't see a lot of a lot of risk, risk regarding the compliance again because the, the the industry has been 
uh, doing the things very good and they are the, the the first ones that they don't want to 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 have any kind of risk but we are seeing a lot of modifications in the rulings uh, uh, regarding the 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 medicines and the drugs and we are seeing a lot of changes or proposed of changes so I think that they are, it's important that they are in touch with their legal team, that they are aware that there are many, maybe some, change, some changes that might not constitute a risk, but they have to be aware. Currently, we have, as you know, the thing with the cannabis, that we, of course, uh, will be involved regarding our industry because there will be an authorization for use cannabis in treatments. And we have to be aware that uh, there will be a lot of control in this use, that there are some provisions that are not published yet and that will be related with the production, the diagnosis, prescription, the production of these medicines, and, of course, uh, its uh, prescription itself, in which companies will not be forced to asking for renewals every five years and just after the first renewal the registry will be permanent as long as they have the same conditions and this is a very good uh, situation for the companies and the industry and even from for the government because they had a lot of workload uh, regarding all these kind of proceedings and again it's kind of a, a recognition of the government that the industry are doing the things uh, well, that it it will not be longer necessary to to having these renewals every five years. And I think that are like the most relevant things that we that we see that might be changing in in this moment. Great, that is so helpful. Thank you very much. A lot to keep on our radar. I just wanted to thank you, Lourdes, for joining me today for the partnership of, of your firm, Von Vobister, on this important initiative. And we think this will be a great resource for our clients in trying to navigate this complex regulatory environment. You can also subscribe and listen to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we hope you have a great day. 